Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Got some dads in the room? Yeah, got some dads in the room. Hey, happy Father's Day. My name is Greg. I'm the family's pastor, and it is an honor uh, to be sharing with you this morning. And, and dads in particular, I mean, come on, this is our day. This is the day when we get to tell as many dad jokes as we want. Eye rolls are not allowed, right? Actually, they are allowed because that's how you know you told a good dad joke, right? The eye roll is like the affirmation, like I nailed it, yes, right? But, uh, but genuinely, you know, father, fatherhood is a calling. It's not something that just happens because you have a kid. It's something that God has called you to. It's, a, it's an honor. It's a privilege. It's a, it's a mantle that we receive to shepherd and steward sons and daughters, that they might know and love God, that they might magnify him in all the earth. So I want to, uh, dads in the room, I just want you to stand up for just a moment. I won't make you stand too long. And I, yeah, give these guys fathers, grandfathers, stepdads. Amen. Amen. You guys remain standing for just a moment. Um, and I, I just want to honor you as fathers. I want to say thank you. Thank you for the ways that you sacrifice. You know, one of the things I think as a dad is just the countless times we're laying down our lives. We're putting ourselves at the bottom of the totem pole. You've probably made that joke about the dog being higher than you on the totem pole, right? And I think the thing that we need to respect and honor and acknowledge and call out this morning is that that's a choice that we make as dads. It's not something that happens to us. It's a choice that we make because we know the con with conviction in our hearts that there's a calling in our lives to get underneath our families and to serve them, to protect them to provide for them, to make a way for them. And so with honor and with thanks this morning, just the thing I want you to hear is well done. In the ways that it's your heart to know that your sons and daughters know that you're proud of them, know that you care about them, know that you love them, know that you would do anything for them. What I want you to hear this morning is the father feels the same way about you. He loves you. He's deeply proud of you. And he's with you. You're not alone. I know there's a lot of pressure as a dad. I know there's a lot that we take on and face and the problems and the finance and all those different things and know that you're not alone. Your father in heaven's with you. He's got your back. And he's very proud of you. So God, you guys can be seated as I pray. God, I just thank you for every father in this room. Would you bless them? Would you pour yourself out upon them? Would you rich, enrich their lives as they give themselves to you? We love you and we love them. We pray just as we um, get into the word this morning, uh, we ask God that your father heart would be made evident. That we would be undone by how good you are to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And I almost forgot, oh my goodness, the best part, right? I got so caught up in all that, you know, feel good stuff. Uh, who wants a milkshake, dads? Let's go. Let's go. All right, so dads, you can text the word milkshake to 94,000 and you'll get a code uh, or, you know, it'll, it'll give you instructions on how to do it. But Chick-fil-A milkshake, so feel free, get out your phones and no one will be in, in here will be offended. Yeah, take a picture of the screen, however you want to do that. Free milkshake on us. Obviously, you can't go today, but you're going to get spoiled today anyway. So this is for later this week, right? All right. Well, hey, we're, we're in our series called Life in His Name. 
Uh, we're working through the book of John this summer. I hope you've been enjoying it as much as I have. I love the Gospel of John, and I'm so honored uh, to be sharing with us this morning from the story of Lazarus. And, and before we get into that, I, you know, I wanted to just kind of open with one of my favorite things around Father's Day. It always happens around Father's Day because men are disproportionately more prone to be colorblind than women are. And so every year around this time, you get all these videos of these dads for Father's Day that are colorblind getting these in chroma glasses. Have you seen, have you seen those videos, right? Where, where and almost always it's a man, right? He's putting these things on. Um, and I love these videos. And there's always kind of like a sequence of events that happens. Like there's an order, right? So they put the glasses on and there's kind of this like shocked silence. That's the first thing. They're just like, what is going, kind of speechless, right? And their families are always like, tell us what it's like, dad, what do you see? Look at the balloon, like, look at the dog, look at Billy's shirt, right? And they're trying to get him. And then the next thing is there's kind of this like, this joy of like, oh my goodness. And they're going around and they're, they're exploring and they're looking at different things and it's ah, oh, ah. Oh. And then inevitably, I'm a sucker for the sappy videos, guys. Like the, like the, the, the parents who've been like uh, overseas, like in serving and they come home and they like surprise their kids and you're like, I'm not crying, you're crying, you know, like, and, and so this is inevitably what happens is there's this, this moment where they just, they break. The emotion of it just overwhelms them. And you've got, you know, it's always like, you know, the 60-year-old guy who was like a construction worker his whole life, right? And like brushes his teeth with sand and like, you know, like think Michael Jones, if you know him, right? Like, and, and he, they're, just, they're just undone. They're just crying, right? Because they're overwhelmed. And I think part of, part of what is overwhelming in that moment is this, Revelation of I've been seeing the world in all these muted colors. And I had no idea what it could be like. I had no idea even like exactly what I was missing or what it should be like. And they experience it and the, and the emotion of it overwhelms us. I had no idea it could be this. I didn't know it could be this good. I didn't know it could be this right or this beautiful It's a lot about what John has for us in, in chapter 11 this morning. You know, what happens a lot of times when we live with muted colors for so long, it sort of becomes the normal, right? It becomes like, this is just the way it is. Like, this is just the way I, I guess life is. I guess life is just hard in this way, or it's broken or hurting in this way. This is, this is what sin has done to the world. It's taken this beautiful, vibrant, abundant thing that God has created and bestowed and given to us to have, and it's made it dirty in some ways and stained and spoiled, and, and it's muted the colors or even perverted and distorted the colors to where, in a lot of ways, we don't know what it's supposed to look like completely. It's taken away, it's muted that purpose of God that we're supposed to have life and not just life, but life abundant, life to the full, life in, in full color, in 3D, right? In, in technicolor, as they used to say when color TVs came out way back in the day. I, that was not in my time. I was already around for that. It's, it's unbelief. It's really what it comes down to. Like 
And, and it's what John is addressing and what Jesus really is addressing is what happens when we become so used to the broken way that things are that it becomes the normal. It becomes the expectation that our lives kind of get caught in this rut of, of unbelief. Well, this is just the way it is. It's the way it always has been. Or maybe at one point, way back there, we can remember when something was different, but we've experienced a trauma or we've had a broken heart or that relationship is broken and fractured. Or, I mean, just go down the list. I can't remember a time when I wasn't addicted to pornography or whatever it may be. And this is just, I just have to cope. I just have to figure it out. I just have to sort of live my life this way because this is what life is now. Or maybe it's the way we see God, right? Like, I, I, it's just, this is just who God is. God's just, he doesn't speak to me that way. Like he's not close to me like that. I, I don't hear him or, or he's just, he's uncaring or he's distant because that's the way we feel. That's the way we're experiencing it in our lives. And there's good news in the gospel. I mean, the gospel is what it means, good news. And there's good news this morning. Hopefully there's good news here every single Sunday morning. And the good news is this, that hope is here. Hope is here. It's not there. It's not coming. It's not far off. Hope is Emmanuel. Hope is God with us. And if Jesus is Jesus, and if Jesus rose from the grave, and if the spirit of Jesus is alive, and if the spirit of Jesus lives in us, then hope is here. And it's now. And it's for every one of us. So if you're feeling stuck or you're feeling trapped, if you're feeling like, man, I'm just hopeless. This is the way it always has been, the way it always will be. Hope is here this morning. It's here. It's present in this room, and his name is Jesus. We've been singing his praise, and now he wants to come and enter in and, and in a deeper way reveal to us just who he really is. He wants to put the technicolor glasses on our eyes and show us just how beautiful the world can be when he comes in and he touches things that we didn't think could change. We're going to work through John chapter 11 this morning, kind of paragraph by paragraph together. And before we do that, I, I want to take a moment to talk about the previous 10 chapters because John chapter 11 in so many ways is a fulcrum. It's like a pivot point for the whole gospel. Everything changes after this. And one evidence of that is that the first 11 chapters, well, really 10 chapters of John, occur over a period of about two and a half, three years. The last 10 or 11 chapters in equal amount take place over one week. So starting next week, as we get into John 12 and beyond, everything changes. It goes from this big, broad, public ministry. And Andy did such a great job of, of teaching us about this in the second week in the series of John, where Jesus is performing signs. It's like he's turning on the lights. You know, any light snobs in the room? Like, I'm a light snob. I like my lights like a certain way, right? Like, I don't like this light right here. Like I could just do without it. Like it just right in my eyes. Like you guys need it. But I'm like, Ugh. like so in my house, I'm like, there, there's a ceiling fan with like exposed bulbs. And my kids will like turn the light on. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> we don't use that switch. <laughs> like that is for decoration. Like that does not, I have lamps. If I could have a dimmer on every switch in my house, 
Like I would, you know, so I just like it warm. I don't like the, the bright, like cool blue lights. I want the warm light. So like, I like, I like lights. And so this whole entire gospel, for the first 10 chapters, what Jesus has been doing is he's performing these signs, which you know, like you've been in the dark a long time, you come in and you flip on the lights and it's like, oh, it blinds you, right? So that's not what Jesus is doing. He's coming in with the dimmer switch. And chapter by chapter, he's churning up the light a little bit more and a little bit. I mean, almost every chapter in the first 11 chapters of John, there's a reference to Jesus being light, the light of the world. It's a theme in this gospel. The humanity of Jesus is a theme, that he's here and he's with us and that he's the light. That's another theme, a huge theme. And these two things are being evidenced as Jesus comes into the world and he's turning up the lights, revelation by revelation, sign by sign. He's, he's kind of like, the sign is like him turning the lights up a little bit. And everyone goes, wait, what is that? And then he gives a message and he says, this is, this is who I am. And this is why I'm here. And are you listening? And what's happening all throughout these first 10 chapters of John is that as Jesus is more and more revealing himself, as the glory of God is being made manifest among the people, two things are happening. One, there are a bunch of people who more and more in increasing measures are misunderstanding Jesus. And it's causing them to hate him. And then there's another group of people who more and more are beginning to believe Jesus and it's causing them to love him. And isn't this just who Jesus is in our everyday lives, right? Like he's a fork in the road. You can't encounter him and his claims and who he is and who scripture says he is and keep going the same direction. It, he makes you choose. It's who he is, right? And so it's what's been happening all throughout these passages. And, and so John chapter 11 is the fulcrum. It's, it's kind of the last of the major signs. It's this last flicking on of the lights where he pushes it up that last little bit on the dimmer switch all the way to its full brightness. And he says, here I am. This is who I am. So let's start in. Let's read John chapter 11, verses one through six. It says this. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So before we get to the miracle, before we get to Lazarus come out and before we get to the stone being rolled away and, and all the things that, are, that we love about this story in scripture, sorry, maybe I should have said spoiler alert, right? Um, first, I wanna take a moment. I, wanna, I want us to get in because John does such a great job of, of humanizing Jesus and all those who are around him. And I wanna get into the heartbreak that's going on here, the desperation, that place of like somebody we love is, is desperately ill and they're dying and we need help. And there's nothing we won't do to, to try to make that, that happen and, 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 and try to see this person get well. And John knows we're about to walk into this heartache. He knows we're about to walk into not just heartache, but also some choices that Jesus is about to make that don't seem to line up. 
Right? It's like, wait, Jesus, that's not how I would do that, or that's not what I would do. And so what I want to point out here is what John is doing in this first few, first few vo- uh, verses is he's laying a foundation for us. He's framing this whole entire narrative, and he wants us to see a couple things. And the first one is this. He loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It says it twice in there in five verses. One of them is like a setup verse that's saying what's going on, right? And so in the next two out of the next four verses, he's pointing out like Lazarus is somebody Jesus loves. Jesus loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It's in there two times. And so he's wanting us to make sure, hey, everything that Jesus is about to do, it's laid on this foundation of his love for them. Let's not question that. Let's not doubt about how Jesus felt. You see how this gospel humanizes them? These are his friends. He loves them. He's for them. So, and the second thing um, that, that we see is, is another motivator that frames this whole passage. And it's this, that, that Jesus is everything he's doing. As we see here in verse four, it says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God that the son of God might be glorified. So everything Jesus is about to do, he's telling us right now, he's telling his disciples, everything I'm about to do is so that the Son of God might be glorified. And so here we are, and we're looking at this, and this verse says, okay, this doesn't make any sense if you just read it. It says this, when he heard that Lazarus, so therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Like, is that what you would do? If somebody in your family was like halfway across the country and they were desperately ill and you got a call and it was, hey, so-and-so may not make it. You're like, well, I got some plans this weekend. (laughs) You know, we're going out on the ATVs, supposed to hit the lake, you know, time to hold on a little bit longer, right? That doesn't make any sense. What is Jesus doing? Right? And so John, he's setting the stage for us. He's saying, listen, everything that Jesus is doing He's doing that, that the Son of God might be glorified. That we might know who he truly is. And, and you see it a little bit, like, you see it here. It, he says it, this illness does not lead to death. Now, first of all, we know it leads to death, right? Lazarus is about to die. So did Jesus just miss it, right? Is he just like, yeah, that's fine. And then he dies and he's like, well, I guess I got to go do something about that. <laughs> I don't, no, that's not how it's going, right? Actually, maybe a better way to read this scripture right here would be, instead of saying this sickness does not lead to death, it would be to say the purpose of this sickness is not death. The purpose of this sickness is not death. The purpose of it is that the Son of God might be glorified. That's, that's the function of what's going on here. And, and so what do we do when God zags? Right? Like, God, you're supposed to zig right here in my life. Like, this is the way I would do it. This is, this is, this makes sense to me. This seems like the most loving thing or the best thing or the most helpful thing. And then the next thing you know, life is zagging and it's going this direction. And you're going, God, what are you doing? Like, we're not supposed to be, this, this isn't right. This, this is wrong or this hurts or this doesn't make sense, Father. Like, what is, what is going on here? How am I supposed to make heads and tails of this thing? And what John is doing here is he's setting the stage and he's saying, listen, God is always, and this is for you, church family, 
Sons and daughters of God, hear it. God in your life is always working from a place of love into a place of his glory in your lives. He's always working from love. That, that, that is the, the given. It's unchangeable. It's immutable. It's fixed in stone. God is always working from a place of love in your life. And he's always working unto his glory. Now here's good news. Your best interests aligns with his great glory. They're one and the same. The very best thing for you is that God's glory would be manifest in your lives. Those are, those are not competing things. They're one and the same thing. And so when God pursues his glory, well, what is his glory? Well, the glory of God is that the, 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 the revelation of who his son Jesus is, that he's the savior of the world. So the glory of God is that he has saved us. The glory of God is that he's rescued us. The glory of God is that he's enough for us, that he provides for us, that he satisfies us. That's the glory of God is that we're completely satisfied in him. That we, that we lack nothing, that we have everything we need in the person of Jesus. God is always working from love towards his glory in our lives. Hope is here. It's here. It's, it's present in your life. God is not delaying as we would think. He's not withholding as we might imagine. So let's see how Jesus responds here and, and what happens in the next part of this passage. In verse, beginning in verse 7, it says... Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I had a friend, a roommate, one of my closest friends in college, his name was Travis, and he's one of those guys, like if it could happen to him, it would happen. Like he had a car like literally blow up and catch fire on the side of the road going home from Houston. He was going home for a prom and he stood there on the side of the road with his tuxedo and just watched his car just like burn. He had another car. He was driving down the street in hilly uh, Austin, Texas and came up to a red light and he pressed the brake and it just went straight to the floor at a red light. And he just cruised through like three red lights going down the hill. <laughs> Didn't get hit. Like, this is what I'm saying. This is this kind of guy. Like if it can't happen to him. So he, he was... Um, he was constantly um, trying to make his way and, and actually really admire him because he did anything and everything he could to pay his way and, and to make it through school. Um, one of the things he did before I knew him, um, we lived on a, in a, in a college, at a college campus and they're always doing experiments. I don't know if you guys did any of those, right? Like, it's like a, you go in and, and you earn, and some of them are just like little, you can earn like 50 bucks if you like, you know, just sit in a room and watch some video or whatever. Well, he did one. They were wanting to test pain medication. 
Well, in order to test pain medication, you need somebody in pain. And so, and he needed his wisdom teeth out. So this is how he paid for his wisdom teeth, okay? No, no, no. They do do that, but this is different, right? He went in and they put his finger in this like, this like device and it had a hydraulic pin and I won't belabor this. And they pressed a button and the pin fired and it broke this knuckle in his finger. He knew that this is what they were gonna do to him. Right? I see people like covering their ears. I'm done, I'm done talking about that, okay? Now, so here's the deal. <laughs> Everyone's, you get the medicine, they're testing the medicine, right? Well, they also have a thing called the control group. And these are people that are given a pill and it's like a baby aspirin or something. And it does absolutely nothing. It's like a sugar pill. And he laid on a cot in this, like, this building for like six hours, his finger, I mean, just in excruciating pain, right? So I tell that story. Uh, you know, my kids like Coyote Peterson a lot. You guys know him. And he does, he's like this YouTube star. And, he go, and one of his things he does is he goes and he finds all the worst stinging animals he can find. And he catches them like a bullet ant or a murder hornet, right? Most subtle name for an insect ever, murder hornet, right? And he takes them and he'll literally grab them in pinchers and he'll like hold them against his arm right here until they bite him or sting him. And then he'll just writhe on the ground for like an hour in pain. And he's trying to describe it while he's doing it, right? So I, I tell these stories like the disciples are looking at Jesus in this passage and they're going, Jesus, you want to go back where? Like, wait a second, we just fled from Judea. Like, that's where the stones are. That's where all the people who hate you are. Like, what are you, you, you want to go back there. You want to go back to Jerusalem. You want to hold a bullet in against your arm. You want to put your finger in the thing and let somebody break it. Like, what are you, Jesus, are you crazy? Like, what are you doing? Why would you choose great pain? And the reason we choose great pain in our lives, if we choose it, is because on the other side, we believe there's a great reward. There's something worth it on the other side of that. Again, what's motivating Jesus? What's driving him here? It's his love for us. And it's his glory revealed. It's that the lights would come on and everyone would be able to see who he is so that they could believe in him, so that they could be saved and rescued. And so he chose pain. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm going back. Yeah, I know. And remember, this is the fulcrum. This is where everything in John turns. Jesus goes back and he knows, I'm going back. Not, I'm not hoping to skirt around this thing. I'm going back and when I go back, I'm going to die. It's a life for a life. I'm going back to resurrect Lazarus. I'm going back, ironically, to bring him back from the grave. And in the same moment, I'm... I'm pronouncing my own death sentence. And he chooses it. This is the God we serve. This is the one he came and he chose it. He, he, he wasn't made to die. He chose to die. No, he's the God of the universe. No one can make him do anything that he doesn't intend and want to do. And so Jesus says this about going back. He, he says, for your sake, disciples, I'm glad that I wasn't there when Lazarus was sick. This is another one of those. Again, this is why John set up the foundation of everything Jesus is doing is out of this framework of love and, and his glory being revealed. Because like, what are you talking about? Why is it better 
that you weren't there. Like that doesn't make a whole lot of, for, for my sake, like, and they're still just totally misunderstanding him. That's a huge theme in John. It's like he's revealing, Jesus revealing himself and revealing himself and people just not getting it, right? And, and so here he is, they're misunderstanding him. And he's saying, listen, it's still daytime. There's still work to be done, in other words. The sun hasn't gone down. There's still a job to be done. And as long as there's still a job to be done, nobody can touch me. I'm safe. The Father has a plan for me. So come with me. We're going back. We've got something that we're being called to do here. And so as we see this story, like what we really, I think, helps to understand that this story, it's not about the disciples, it's easy to, to read the story of Lazarus and, and, and to fall in love with a lot of these elements and to imagine ourselves in it. And I think that's great. And those are all good things. But to understand that this story, it's, it's not about the disciples. It's not about Martha or Mary. It's not even about Lazarus. It's not even about the miracle. The story, it's not. It's not even really about the resurrection. The resurrection is a means to an end. He says, I'm glad that we delayed. Why? So that you might believe. I'm glad we're not there. Why am I glad that we're, that we're not there? Because I'm going to do this sign, but the function of this sign, the reason I'm doing it is so that you would believe. Believe what? That I am your hope, your salvation, that I am the Messiah. This is, this is what I want you to see, disciples. I'm glad I wasn't there because if I just healed him, you wouldn't get out of this what you really need to get out of this. And you're going to see what that is here in just a moment. He's saying hope is here. You men who've been following me for three years, your hope is here. I'm standing right in front of you. It's not far off. It's not to come. It's present. You can touch it. You can talk to him. He's a person. So here now we move into verses 17 through 27. It says this. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. So here's Jesus. He's coming into Bethany. They arrive. It's four days later now. So he delayed two days and he shows up four days after Lazarus has passed away. And Martha hears of him coming and she comes out to meet him. And they have this incredibly powerful and intimate interaction where I imagine it's really just the two of them together. Maybe the disciples are onlookers here. Something to recognize here, right? So Jesus, was, Jesus got the news that Lazarus was ill. So the message traveled from Mary and Martha to Jesus. He got the message 
delayed two days, waited two days, traveled back to Mary and Martha, and he got there four days after Lazarus had died. So it's important here to do a little bit of math because what we understand then has, even had Jesus left, the moment that he had discovered that Lazarus had died, when that message showed up on his door and he'd rushed off, he would have gotten there and Lazarus still would have already been dead for two days. There was nothing he could do. Well, he, I mean, he could have done it in a different way, obviously, right? But just walking from point A to point B, like there, there wasn't a way for, it, for him to have traveled the distance from where he was to where Lazarus was and get there in time to heal him from being sick. And so it's easy to read a statement where Martha comes to him and she says, Jesus, like if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it's easy to hear accusation in that statement. But I think if you look at the context of this verse and you understand exactly what I just explained, that no matter when Jesus had left, Lazarus still would have passed away. You understand that this is not an accusation. This is actually an expression of grief and of belief. It's, it's, it's the, the alas, Jesus, if you had been here, like if you had been, I, I, and you could have done something about it. Like it's, that, it's the mourning of, I wish, you had, I wish you had been here. And it's the belief of, had you been here, Lazarus, you, you would have saved him. You would have healed him because I know who you are and I know what you can do. And I think the next, and we're gonna go into this a little bit more in a minute because Mary actually has the same response. So we're going to dive in a little bit more on just that, on this response of grief and belief that she's bringing to Jesus. But I think the next statement that, that she has here affirms that she's not accusing him. She's not angry at him because she says this to him. She says, um, um, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Again, it's like she's doubling down on this statement of faith. Like, Jesus, I know who you are, and I, and I believe, and I, I know that you could have done something about it. And here's Jesus' response to her. Your brother will rise again. I love it. It's like perfectly ambiguous from Jesus. He doesn't say, hey, I'm about to go roll that stone back and raise Lazarus up. He says, your brother will rise again. He puts out a little, a little kernel out there, and what he's doing is he's testing her belief. Not, not, in a, not in a cruel way. He, he wants to see where she's at. Hey, hey Martha, Lazarus is going to rise again. And her response is probably the response any of us would have, right? Like, yeah, I know. He's going to rise again on the last day when everybody resurrects, right? That's her response to him. Here it is again. Like, Jesus is like, like sometimes you just want to grab. It's like, I'm trying to paint the picture and I'm, I'm using all the words that I can, and you're just not quite getting it. Like I'm putting it, anybody play the game Mad Gab? We love that game. It's, it's where there's a phrase that you're trying to get the other person to guess, but they're not reading the phrase. They're reading other words that sound like the phrase and sounding it out, and they're trying to hear it, right? So um, here, I'll give you an example. Put this one up here, and you guys can all start reading this out and see if you can figure it out. I can hear you all saying it. Lazarus, come out, right? Okay, so you see, the, you see how the game works, right? Like, but it's so funny because I'm up here. I know what the phrase is and I hear you all saying it. But you just keep repeating it over and over and over again because you can't hear it, right? And I feel like this is what like, Jesus is going through. He's like, I'm saying it. Like, you're, you're, I'm saying it, but you're not hearing it. 
Like I keep repeating it over and over and over. Like I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm it. I'm him. I'm the, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I'm the son of God. I'm Emmanuel, God with you. And he's, he keeps turning the lights up brighter and brighter and brighter. And even the ones who are closest to him, I mean, God love them. We'd be in the same boat, right? Like they, they just aren't quite getting it yet. And so in this moment, Jesus, he turns the lights on all the way. He looks right at Martha and he says, Martha, hope is here. Hope is here. Hope is now. It's not some date, some far off event in the distant future that you're just putting your hope in. But right now you've just got to deal with what's going on right here all on your own. Hope is here. I am. Ego a me. This is the phrase for, for the, the name of God. He's saying, I am, I am, God the Father in heaven, Yahweh is here, and I am the resurrection. The resurrection is not an event. It's not a date to come in the future. I am the resurrection. Eternal life is, it's not a place. It's not, heaven is not a place. I am the life. I am heaven. There is no heaven without me. Heaven is heaven because of me. I am do you see it, Martha? Martha, look at me. Do you hear it? I am. I'm here with you now. Hope is here now. You don't have to defer it. You don't have to wait until some far off distant point in the future. I'm standing here right in front of you. The breakthrough that you need, that, that, that turning of the corner in your life, it's not an event. It's not something you're hoping will happen in the future. Some of those things that feel irreconcilable, they feel impossible, they feel like they're never gonna happen. Those things where you're like, I'm just gonna have to learn to live with this. You know, sometimes there are those places in our life. I mean, sin is here, it's real. And so there's loss and there's brokenness, but, but sometimes what happens is we get so overwhelmed with the amount of the loss and the brokenness that we can we can sort of give in and we can sort of say, well, I guess this is just how it is. Like at some point, God will make all that stuff right. But, but what Jesus is standing here with us this morning is saying, no, 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 hope is here. Hope is now, believe. Family of God, this is who we are. Sons and daughter of Abraham, of faith, believe. Believe in Christ, the risen king, who's alive, who's here in power right now. And here's Martha's response. Jesus just lays it out for her. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Martha, do you believe? I love this question. It's an invitation. He's meeting her in all of her suffering and her heartache, and he's inviting her to respond with gentleness, with grace. And this is her response. I believe. Jesus, I hear what you're saying. I believe. I believe what? I believe you are the Messiah. And in case that wasn't enough, I'm going to double down on it. You're the Son of God. I believe that you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God who's coming into the world. You're here with me now. Resurrection is here with me now. Life is here with me now. The power and the presence and the love of God is here with me now. I believe. Hope is here. Jesus has another encounter with Martha's sister, Mary. 
And this is how that encounter went down. It says, when Martha had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to, into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary quickly rise and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? All right, so let's look at Mary, Mary's response. It's the same as Martha's when she gets there. She falls at his feet. Martha stayed standing, but Mary falls at his feet and she cries out, Jesus, if you had been here, surely he would have lived, right? You, you would have been able to do something. It's that same both. And so what, here's what we need to see here is both of these women, Martha gets a bad rap so often. She gets a bad rap. She deeply loved Jesus, deeply loved him. Her whole heart was his. She was given to him completely. And she was different than Mary. And I think that's what's beautiful about this passage is both these women come to Jesus in different ways, in their own personality. But they both come in the same way. They come with grief and they come with belief. But more importantly, they come to Jesus. What do we do when our world is falling apart? What do we do when the pain is overwhelming us? Where do we go? Mary and Martha went to Jesus. That's where they went. And Jesus met them and he responded to them each uniquely. It wasn't a cookie cutter response for each of these women. He met each woman where they were according to who they were. And that's another beautiful thing about God. It's like, there's no wrong way to come to Jesus. Like he's gonna meet you where you're at. He's gonna meet you as who you are. He's not gonna try to change you and make you somebody different and try to make you respond in a different way. And so both of these women come free of accusation they're not saying, Jesus, where were you? What did you do? They said, Jesus, oh, if only you had been here. You could have done something about it. One of the things we need to hear in this story as, as the, the family of God, as, with God as our father, is that accusation is the enemy of belief. The two things can't coexist at the same time. As long as we're accusing God, we cannot also be trusting God. Do you hear that? Like, God is never deserving of our accusation. Like there's never a spear that we can pick up and point it at God because he did something the wrong way. Remember the whole framework of this entire passage is God is operating off the framework of his love for us into his glory for, for the name of Jesus that is in our best interests. So everything he does in our lives, he's in, he's with us, he's for us, and he might be zagging. But that doesn't mean he's not faithful doesn't mean he's not good. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a purpose and a plan that we don't understand. And we're about to see how all this is unraveling and unfolding here. And, and listen, guys, I, like, I'm the feel your feelings guy. Like, I am. Like, hey, feel your feelings. Like, I want you to, right? Don't stuff those things. Like, I've been there. I stuffed them. That's not good, right? But it, 
but feel them at the feet of Jesus. Feel your feelings at the feet of Jesus. Like grieve authentically and believe wholeheartedly. Do them both. And they're not mutually exclusive. They can be done together. And, 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 and that's exactly what's happening here. And it's so beautiful. And so we're going we're gonna to try to land this plane. Man, I got a lot of notes. It's a long chapter. It's a lot going on. Okay, I want to get into this because it's important. Um, I, I had a really great sermon prepared on like in my head on like Jesus weeping, right? It's like I said, I'm, I'm all about feel your feelings, okay? Like go there, right? But meet God in them. But, but so I had a whole sermon prepared in my mind about how Jesus wept. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus. And so he was weeping, but, but nonetheless, he still chose to enter into Mary's pain and to weep with her. And what an incredibly magnanimous and loving and empathetic God that we serve. And all of that is really good theology. Jesus is all of those things, right? This is not what this passage is saying at all. Believe it or not, like you get into the passage and, and here, here's, here's what's happening, right? Verse 33, and it needs some unpacking. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Okay, these two words, deeply moved and greatly troubled. They're softened a little bit. I'm sorry, ESV, you soften these words, right? That first word is the same word that's used of a horse, like snorting, like, like an angry horse, like indignant is maybe a better translation of that word. Jesus was indignant. And the second word is like stirred up or agitated. He sees this weeping and he sees this mourning going on and he's indignant and agitated. Now, again, it's all in the framework of his love and his glory. So what is going on? Like, this is why John set it all up this way, because he's like, wow, that doesn't seem like a very loving response from Jesus, who is love. Like, what's happening here? So the first thing we need to understand, obviously, he deeply loves Mary and Martha. He met them where they were. He loved them. He walked alongside them. He comforted them. All those things happened. But he's looking up at the scene, and what had followed Mary out of the house was this whole group of, some of them were like professional grievers. They would actually hire grievers to come into, literally, to come into the home and grieve. And they were wealthy, so they had probably been able to do this. And then friends and family too. And he's, Jesus is looking around and he's just pronounced to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And he's looking around and what he's seeing is the grip that sin and death have on the hearts of men. And his heart is troubled. It's breaking inside of him. There, there's this righteous anger in him saying, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how I made it. This is not how I created it. This is not how I, I, I set up creation to be. And he's looking and there's grief and anger. Have you, ever, have you ever seen something so wrong and it made you angry? Like you, you just, you wanted to make it right. It's a righteous anger. Like this is not right. And I want to do something about it, right? And Jesus is being stirred in this way. He's added, it's the same, this word agitated is the same word that's used two chapters later when, Jesus, when it talks about Jesus um, um, expressing that Judas was about to betray him. It says he was agitated. He was troubled in his spirit, right? So it's not just like, oh, he's sad. No, no, like he, he's worked up here. He wasn't brokenhearted from empathy. He was empathetic. There, there's something else driving his emotions here. 
It's interesting that even as he weeps, so here he is, he's weeping. He's, he's weeping over the effect of sin and what it's done and how death and how people see the world in these muted colors and they see death. They look around them and they're hopeless. And he's like, no, no, hope is here. Hope is here. Stop looking at death. Look at me. Look at me. I'm your hope. I'm resurrection and I'm life, right? And, and, he's, and he's, even as he weeps, he's misunderstood. There's half the people there who are saying, oh, look, he weeps because he loves them. And the other half are saying, okay, yeah, he's weeping, but why didn't he just do something about it? He's healed everybody else. Why didn't he just heal Lazarus? And again, it's just like, it's going right over their heads. They're saying it out loud. They're hearing him say it, but they just can't see. Hope is here. I am the resurrection and I am the life. Believe. Okay, so we're going to wrap this up. And here's where Jesus raises Lazarus. And then we're going to end this thing and respond. It says, and Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around. Why? That they may believe that you sent me. Then he said, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This verse begins again, Jesus deeply moved. Jesus agitated. He stirred up again. His righteous anger is now directed toward the physical death that's occurred right before him. Again, this is not the way I made it to be. Death is not supposed to be a reality. I made you to live eternally in my presence with me. And he stirred to action. And he says, take me to the tomb. Now you remember Jesus delayed, right? And he told the disciples, we're delaying and I'm glad we're delaying. and I'm glad we're not there. This is for my glory that you might believe. And it helps to understand a little bit about Jewish culture. They believed that a soul would kind of like remain and hover over a dead body for three days. Just like, hey, maybe you might want to come back. You know, maybe this thing's not for real, right? This is what they believe, okay? This is a, like a, a, known, a known belief, right? But on day four, that body would start to decompose and the soul would go, yeah, not, not happening, peace out, right? And it would go on its way. That was what they believed, okay? And so, so Jesus, here he is, four days away, he hears about Lazarus being sick and he delays two days. Why? Because he gets a word of knowledge and he knows that Lazarus is gonna die and he knows that there's nothing he can do. He can't get from point A to point B in time to heal Lazarus before he dies. And so he says, they need to know. They need to know this is not a resuscitation. I'm not going in there, you know, and Lazarus is coming back to life. No, like it needs to be cemented in stone. This man is dead. He's dead, D-E-D, dead. <laughs> Jesus prays aloud and he, and he says, I, I'm not praying aloud because I, I need to pray here necessarily. Father, I know you hear me. 
I know you know me. I'm not praying for my sake. I'm praying for their sake. I'm praying so that they would what? Believe. In 45 verses here, the word believe is used 10 times. You think John wants us to get it? It's what it's about. Believe, believe, believe. The purpose of the whole book of John is what this whole series is named after John chapter 20, verse 31. This gospel is written that you may believe. And in so believing, you might have life in his name. It's an invitation to believe. Lazarus, come out. Hope is here. Resurrection is here. Life is here. Power is here. The glory of God is here. The Son of God manifests Emmanuel with you. He's here now. I'm here. I'm here. Do you hear him saying it this morning, church? Hope is here. Hope is here. He's in this room. And there are places in your life that feel dead, they feel buried, they feel hopeless. It feels like they're always gonna be this way. Maybe they're even decomposing over there in a tomb. And Jesus is here to say, hope is here. I'm here, that thing, that, that, that relationship that you felt like could never reconcile. Hope is here. That addiction to pornography, that, that, that lust that you've been saddled under for what feels like your whole life. And it just like, man, I just got to press through this thing, I guess. I just got to put up all these barriers and walls and fences and safeguards around my life. Hope is here. The place of desperation, the place of grief, the place of loss and sadness and depression. Hope is here. Are you anxious? Are you fearful? Are you worried? Are you medicating? and coping and hiding, hope is here, it's here. And yes, there's gonna be a day when Jesus comes and he wipes away every tear and he makes all things right and death is no more and I can't wait for that day. But we're called to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be now because hope is here. Jesus is alive and he's with us. And that's the invitation this morning. Jesus is here. He's here to reconcile. He's here to heal. Maybe you've been walking into something physical and it's just like, like, this is just the way my body is. Maybe today is the morning when Jesus says, I'm here. I'm here. It's time to be healed. He wants to reconcile. He wants to deliver. He wants to save. Maybe today's the day when you recognize like this Messiah, this Jesus, I, I need him and I want him. He's here to give hope. He's here to lift the head of the weary and strengthen the back of the tired. And so, Father, we love you. And we thank you for Jesus, the resurrection and the life eternal, the life abundant. And we thank you that he's here. Your spirit is in this place, eager to move. And this morning you're calling us to move in belief. And, and so uh, that's the response, it's belief. I believe, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world and who's here right now and who can 
who's able, this thing that's felt impossible, this world that's felt colorless and muted and broken, you're coming now to bring color and to bring life and to bring hope. And I believe, Jesus, I believe. So we yield our hearts to you and we ask you to come and move, God, on the wave of our faith this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer team is going to begin uh, making their way forward. And as they do, I want to invite you to respond in, in a couple of ways. And the first is you may need to repent. Some of us have just been walking in unbelief. We've just said, you know what, this is the way it is, and that's okay. And Jesus wants to invite you to come again and to take up faith. And maybe the prayer is as simple as like, I don't have faith. God, will you give me faith? But come to his feet. Come and bring that thing to him this morning. And, and the second thing is, I think there are things that feel wrapped up and buried in our lives. Places that we've given up hope. Places where we feel like God can't touch. And this morning, God wants to come and he wants to move. He's here. He wants to heal. He wants to set you free. He wants to be who he is. And he wants the glory that he came to show us through his son. So our ministry team is going to be forward. As always, you can come up for any need. You can also, if you just need to get on your knees and respond up front here, we invite you to do that as well. Let's respond to Jesus who's worthy of our trust.